The reading tonight is from John chapter 20, and starting at verse 19 and 29, and can be found on page 1089 of the Church Bibles. Starting at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have seen and yet have believed. Heavenly Father, thank you that it, we meet together today to proclaim that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Lord, open our hearts and our minds and our lives to what you would have to say to each one of us this evening. And we ask this in and through Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, please sit. If you've closed uh, your Bibles, it would be helpful if you open those back up to uh, John chapter 20 on page 1089. And we'll have some of the verses on the screen, but most of them. It would be really helpful if you can uh, look down in your Bibles as we go through together. Well, I don't know how many of you will have seen uh, this article or, or a similar one this week. It's a It's a poll done by the BBC. And this poll says that uh, 23% of those who who interviewed, who call themselves Christian, 23%, that's nearly a quarter, do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead at all. 23%. I don't know if that surprises you or not. Uh, The BBC also got a quote from uh, Reverend Dr. Lorraine Kavanagh. She's the acting general secretary for something called Modern Church, which promotes liberal Christian theology. She said, I think people answering the survey are being asked to believe in the way they might have been asked to believe when they were at Sunday school. So to ask an adult to believe in the resurrection the way they did when they were at Sunday school, simply won't do. And that's true of much of the key elements of the Christian faith. She is a a spokesperson 
for 23% of those who call themselves Christian. Is Dr. Lorraine right? Don't answer yet. <laughs> Spoiled the ending now. Is, is the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus, the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, those 2,000 years ago, is that just a Sunday school story that we should have all outgrown? It's kind of truth watered down. Because if she is right, if she is right, there are consequences. There are consequences. And the Apostle Paul actually nails down what those consequences are if Jesus did not rise from the dead. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then there is no point us being here tonight. There is no point in me preaching to you. I can actually just go home now and uh, get an early night. And Paul says, Your faith is useless. Is she right then? Is she right? Don't say. Is it a childish thing to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What I hope is that when we've looked at this passage this evening, you will be able to make up your own mind. Well, let's start off, shall we? This passage starts by telling us what belief in a risen Jesus looks like. And it says, first of all, that there is something different about the risen Jesus. Look with me at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. John tells us that when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he did so in a miraculous way. In a miraculous way. You see, the disciples were hiding. And they were so scared of being found that they they locked the doors. They had literally barricaded themselves in this room. I wonder if you've ever read a, a murder novel or seen a sort of an Agatha Christie on TV where, where the, the whole um, premise is the idea that the, the murderer was found in a room with the doors locked from the inside. It's been, been done many times and it's, it's looking for this, the way that the murderer has somehow tricked, tricked the people into to thinking that this couldn't possibly happen. You see here in in John's eyewitness account, we're not looking for a trick. We're not looking for the way that Jesus magically slipped in somehow. What Jesus does here is miraculous. When Jesus rose, he was able to appear out of nowhere. There's something different about him. And that's the first thing that we see about belief 
in a risen Jesus, the eyewitness account tells us that there is something different. But while there is something different about the risen Jesus, at the same time, there was also continuity. There was also kind of a a similarity with his old self. Look down at the beginning of verse 20. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. What John now tells us is that the risen Jesus has, has miraculously appeared to his disciples, but now he shows them the marks of crucifixion. Three days earlier, when, when Jesus was crucified, he had nails hammered through his wrists and his feet. And as we were looking at a Good Friday from, from chapter 19, his side was, was pierced with a Roman spear. And now it's these very marks that Jesus is showing to his disciples. You can almost imagine the, the disciples moving in closer to get, to get a closer look at these wounds These very wounds that they had been looking at through tears a few days earlier. But the reason why it's so important that John tells us about this and that the disciples could see Jesus' wounds is that because when Jesus rose, he was real flesh and blood. He was real flesh and blood. He was not a ghost. He was not a hallucination. This was not just some kind of spiritual resurrection. Jesus' very body, which on the Friday had died, with his heart that had stopped beating, with his lungs that were no longer full of air, was standing in front of them, fully alive. If the physical resurrection of Jesus is in somehow just a a children's tale, then you have got to rip this page out of your Bible along with half of the New Testament. There is no way you can read this with any integrity as a Christian and say, it never really happened. It didn't happen. You see, John won't allow us to do that. Paul won't allow us to do that. To believe in a risen Jesus is an unnegotiable thing for Christians. Because we don't follow a dead teacher like Buddha, who is dead, or like Muhammad, who is dead. We follow Jesus Christ, who is alive. who is alive. But not only does John tell us what a risen Jesus is like, he also shows us how belief in a risen Jesus changes you. It changes you. Look again at those uh, first few verses, verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he'd said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Another reason we can believe in a risen Jesus is because he turns his disciples' fear, he turns their fear into joy. Into joy. As we've already seen, the disciples, they were terrified. Their master had just been crucified by the authorities. And it wouldn't take much for them to think that they're next. Just a a year before, they had been following Jesus round Palestine, seeing him do incredible things, thinking that with him they could change the world. But now that's all gone. That excitement has been replaced with fear and anxiety. They are hiding. They are hiding. But then, Jesus appears to them. And look what happens at the end of verse 20. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were overjoyed. That's hardly a surprise. But how is Jesus able to bring about this this change in this, this group of fearful, trembling, anxious disciples? Well, look at the end of verses 19. And 21. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. It's because of his peace. His peace. This is the word shalom. Shalom. But Jesus is using it here more than just a a welcome. All right, lads, shalom. Right, how's it going? Shalom. This is more than just a welcome. This is a declaration. This is a declaration. Jesus says peace and it happens. Jesus' risen words have the power to make a change in someone, even this group of trembling disciples. In this case, from fear to being overjoyed but we also see that the risen Jesus has the power to change hiding people into people who go people who go look at verses 21 to to 23 again Jesus said peace be with you as the father has sent me I am sending you and with that he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus is saying to his disciples, right now you're hiding, but I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. Just like my father sent me into the world to proclaim this good news so also I'm going to send you out to proclaim that good news as well to the world. You see, having a bunch of believers, even now slightly overjoyed believers, 
having a bunch of them stuck forever in a room with the doors locked, doesn't do much good for the world. Jesus wants them out there proclaiming forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Jesus isn't saying that all the authority lies with his disciples to forgive sins. We know that only God can forgive sins. But what he is doing is is he is giving his disciples the authority to go out to tell the world that your sins can be forgiven through Jesus. And he can do that because he is alive. Not a ghost. He is alive. And how are these disciples supposed to do that? Well, look at verse 22. It gives us a big clue. And with that, he, Jesus, breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The way the disciples are ever going to change the world and spread the good news is by receiving the Holy Spirit, who God will send into them just weeks later at Pentecost. He will strengthen them and send them out into the world, just like he is saying here. Out of Israel, north to to Syria, and out to Turkey, to Greece, to Italy, to, to Africa, and even hundreds of years later, it'll reach the sunny shores of Sussex as well. You see, not only do Christians have good reason to believe in a physically resurrected Jesus because of the eyewitnesses we have about him and what he was like, both how he was different and how he was similar, we also have good reason to believe because of how he turned a group of terrified disciples hiding into a room, into missionaries who would carry this good news to the ends of the earth and 2,000 years later would continue doing so. Especially when we think about those gathered here, many of whom would end up dying without denying that Jesus is alive. Last of all then, and this is where it brings it home for us, this passage gives us great insight into what belief like ours looks like. Look at verses 24 and 25. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Poor old doubting Thomas, stuck with that name forever. What I want you to notice, though, is that Thomas asks for actually nothing more than what the other disciples have already experienced. You see, they had got the whole package. They'd seen the risen Jesus. They'd been able to touch him. And he wanted in. 
In fact, if he had been there the first time around, a week before, we don't know where he was, perhaps he was out doing the shopping. Well, if he was there the first time, he would have avoided 2,000 years of doubting Thomas as a nickname. Well, while it is true that Thomas is not willing to believe based on the words of his friends, he is at least asking some questions. He is asking some questions. He's not completely ruling out Jesus' resurrection, but actually he's asking for equal treatment, which is incidentally what one week later he gets. Look at verses 26 and 28. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus appears again. He knows what Thomas has asked for. So he shows him. Thomas sees the hands and the wounds and and Jesus' side. And then it clicks for Thomas. He sees and he believes. He sees and he believes that Jesus has physically risen from the dead. My Lord and my God. But what Jesus says next is that there is a better way of believing. A better way that doesn't rely on having to touch Jesus. Look at the last verse, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, when Jesus came back and showed himself to Thomas, he could only be in one place at a time. Because as we've already seen, he's not like a ghost floating around. He is real flesh and blood. You could touch him. You could see the wounds. But he can only be in one place at a time. But what he is saying is that when God sends his Holy Spirit into the world, when Jesus ascends to the Father and God sends his Holy Spirit into the world, well, he won't be confined to one place at a time any longer. His very presence will be with all believers, all the time. This is what Jesus means by saying, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. They are blessed. They are accepted by God. Because they have the Holy Spirit inside them. Inside us. Right now. You see, Jesus can be as real to us this evening as he was to Thomas when he was touching those wounds on Jesus' body. 
You can speak to him. He is that close. One of the other disciples in that room, Peter, would later write this. Though you have not seen him, he's talking about Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. To believe in a risen Jesus doesn't mean you're thinking like a child. To believe in a risen Jesus means you are thinking like a child of God. You love him. You believe in him. And like those disciples were, that gift of belief fills you with joy. This is what it means to be a Christian. There's no Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that Jesus rose again physically, as we've said already in our creed, and as the church has said for many hundreds of years and will continue until the Lord Jesus returns. We believe he rose again physically. We believe that the resurrection changed his disciples and continues to change us. And that we believe in him not by touching his wounds, but by having his spirit live inside each one of us. Is Dr. Lorraine right then? Have we just failed to outgrow a Sunday school story? Or is the Bible right? If she's right, we're wasting our lives. But if John, Paul, Peter and the Bible are right and the church for many hundreds of years, then we've got something amazing to share with the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the Bible teaches so clearly that you did rise from the dead. And by rising you showed who you were and what you had done. Thank you that the knowledge of the risen Jesus changed those disciples from uh, cowering into a room into going out into the corners of the world and in most of their cases dying for their faith. And we thank you that we can believe in you not because we touch your wounds but because your spirit comes to live inside of each one of us. Lord, that belief is a gift. And Lord, if we are here this evening and we're struggling with belief in one way or another, I pray that you would comfort us. I pray that you would help us to have good friends that we can share doubts and concerns with. But I pray at the same time we would know this wonderful truth that Jesus is alive. Amen. And now Daniel's going to come and continue in prayer.